we're beginning this year as a, a large theme, though. It'll take us probably throughout most of the year. And the beginning part of it is to consider the shadow of Christ. And that is um, those indicators throughout the Old Testament which were pointing forward to Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, we were told that these things are types, just types pointing toward Christ which was to come. And so during this past year, we have considered Christ as being the creator, um, both as Yahweh Sabaoth and, and the Yahweh of creation, the seed of the woman. He's been, we saw him as the redeemer, the seed of Abraham, the Melchizedekian priest, the lamb of God, which was um, Abraham offering up Isaac, uh, being stopped at that moment, but then the way being Jacob's ladder, the coming king, our Passover lamb, the light of the world, the bread of life, living water, and the mediator. We spent the last two weeks looking at Christ being the mediator. Well, today's kind of fun because today is Palm Sunday. And so um, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, about a month and a half ago, we looked at Christ being the Passover lamb. And next week we're going to look at him as being the first fruits, which is really awesome because I didn't time that. You know, I didn't realize that until this week that it was coming up that actually on Easter I get to look at Christ as being the first fruits because next week, being Resurrection Day, in the, on the Hebrew calendar is the Feast of first fruits, because according to the, to the law, it is the first, first day of the week after the Shabbat of Passover. And so Jesus was risen from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. He is the first fruits of the dead. So we get to look at that next week, right at the perfect timing. Well, today, being uh, Passover as well, when, uh, not Passover, I'm sorry, um, what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, and the people are, are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are receiving their Messiah, or who they have, are proclaiming to be Messiah. And as Steve, you, you shared in your prayer earlier, you know, how easy it is for, for, to, to look at them and how they received the Messiah and then rejected him all in the same week, and how we tend to do that in a day at times. You know, we can proclaim, as, proclaim him as our Messiah, and then by our actions later on deny him. And so... Um, but today is a wonderful day, and as we look at it, Jesus is coming in today into Jerusalem, quote-unquote, if you would, commemorating it, that he's coming in, so not only is the, the Passover the lamb, the Passover lamb, but really he's going to be the, the not just the, the Passover sacrifice, but he's going to be the sin sacrifice as well. And throughout the Word of God, we have different things that, that he's being referred to as the sacrifice, and so today... We want to look at it in the next part of the journey anyway, coming from the Old Testament, is seeing Jesus Christ as the sin sacrifice. So I want you to turn back to the, to the book of drudgery. I think it's the book of love, and that's the book of what? Leviticus. Okay? People uh, will, you know, they start doing their, their, their yearly reading, and they can read Genesis, and that's kind of fun. It's, it's you know, you got a lot of different things going on. And then Exodus is kind of fun because you've got a lot of different things going on, but all of a sudden you've got to get in the, mid, in the 20s there where all of a sudden that Moses is up on the Mount Sinai and God begins to do what? Give him details. The law. Details. You know, and the priest's garments are going to look like this, and the tabernacle is going to look like this, and we go, oh. But we, we press on. We get, we get through that because we know that there's more stories coming afterwards, right? He's going to come down and he's going to see the golden calf. There's going to be a great war. They're going to be killing each other. I mean, it's great, you know, modern day... Uh, movie stuff, okay? But then also we get to Leviticus. And most people look at the book of Leviticus as drudgery, because it's all about the law. But I want to challenge you, we're not going to be able to spend the whole time looking at, at, at Leviticus, but I, I want to challenge you to not look at the book of Leviticus as the book of law. Look at it as a, a, love, a love book. God knows that you are a body, a soul, 
in the Spirit. And what he has placed in the book of Leviticus are criteria or guidelines for you in your living so that you can have a great relationship with him in both your body, your soul, and your spirit. He starts off with the spirit in Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, talking about the different sacrifices that there are, the burnt sacrifice, the, the fellowship offering, the peace offering, the sin sacrifice, okay? All these different sacrifices, the wave offering, that it, they're, they're out there and they're for a reason, and it's so that his people would understand what sin was, that they were separated from him, and, and that they needed to be reconciled to him, okay? So he wanted to be one of them spiritually. And then he goes and he gives them physical laws and he gives them social laws, how they should how they should live physically, you know. Because honestly, straight up, you look back at it, the things that they were told not to eat, guess what? It's better for you if you don't eat it, okay? I mean, I'm glad I'm a Gentile and I can eat pig, okay? But the reality is the pig's a scavenger, okay? And when you look at the, the different cholesterols that are out there, I, I've, never seen, I've not seen a study. If you know of a study, please f- show it to me, okay? Because I keep looking for a study done on the different types of cholesterols. And biblically speaking, just coming straight from the Bible, okay, I would expect the findings to be that the, the cholesterol from a pig is bad for you, period, bad for you. High in the whatever the bad cholesterol is. There's a good cholesterol and a bad cholesterol, right? So I expect it to be high in the bad cholesterols. Beef is probably a middle-of-the-road thing. Now I bet you if you, if you have the, the kind of meats that God said you could eat, the different parts of the cow that you could eat, it was, probably has the good cholesterol in it. But he tells you to cut off all the what? The fat and offer it to him. I don't think because he was wanting to be mean to us and take all the flavor because that was all the bad stuff, okay? And so he didn't want us to eat it because that has all the bad cholesterol in it. Now, I could be wrong, but I think that's right. And then if you go to the chicken, which they were allowed to eat, you'd find what? Good cholesterol. It's amazing how when they, they, they had people stopping to eat eggs, they realized that, oops, maybe it's important for people to eat eggs because the eggs have good cholesterol in it. Do you know what goes around your brain? There's a fluid that's around your brain. Do you know what's in the fluid? Cholesterol. Anyways. I think God knew what he was talking about when he put all these things out. I, I don't know about you, but I think God knew a little bit more than I knew. And though I may not understand it when I read it, it's not because God wanted to, to limit my fun. We look at our mom and dad like that sometimes, don't we? Oh, mom. Oh, dad. No, son, you have to play inside the yard. There's an alligator outside that yard. And if you go over the fence, he's going to eat you. No, I know, we don't live in Florida. But if I lived in Florida, that could be a real statement. Isn't it true, Don? I mean, you guys live there. I mean, it's, you got a little bitty kid, a 15-foot alligator would consider it a what? A meal, a snack. I mean, it was just a snack. I mean, just, you know, no big deal. You never find trace of it. And so we limit our kids based upon our what? Our wisdom and our maturity, hopefully, and, you know, in, in, in preventing them. Well, God's the same way. God's giving us these things. And so we're not going to be able to go through it all, but I just want to have this kind of aside just to encourage you when you read the book of Leviticus. Don't read it as God limiting you. Look at this God loving you and saying, this is what's best for society. This is what's best for you. This is what's best for you and your relationship with me. Okay? Today we want to look at, though, the sin sacrifice. And in the, looking at the sin sacrifice, we want to first of all look at that practical application, which we've started to do, in looking at the object of the sacrifice. Well, what do we see in Leviticus chapter 1? Let's read a couple verses here, and then we're going to look at Leviticus 1 and Leviticus 4, and we're going to kind of apply this here. But beginning in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, It says, Now Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord or to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, 
let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before Yahweh, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Okay? And then he goes on to give a little bit more detail. But let's go to chapter 4 now. And, and let's look at the process of this offering of the sacrifice. In Leviticus 4. Leviticus 4, start at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of Yahweh in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to Yahweh for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh, lay his hands on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord, in front of Yahweh, in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is in them on the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, which is above the kidneys, he shall remove, as it was taken from the bull with the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh and all its heads and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull shall be carried outside the camp to a clean place, where the ashes are poured out and burned it on a wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, and he shall be burned, or it shall be burned. And then he goes on talking about now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and so on and so forth, and he goes through the same process of, of the sin sacrifice that's there for them. Okay, so we've read chapter 1 with that burnt offering, and we've read chapter 4 with the, the sin offering. Okay, And in that, we have this, the, 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 the object of the sacrifice, or this bull, if you would. Okay, And first of all, what do we know about this bullock, or this offering that was supposed to be offered. It was supposed to be without blemish. The innocence of the sacrifice. It has to be one that has no blemish. We've talked about this in the past, but in order to consecrate the tabernacle, in order to consecrate the temple, in order to consecrate all the utensils and such, there, originally there was a red heifer. Do you remember this? Okay? And they had to, to, to burn the red heifer into ashes and take the ashes of the red heifer and they were supposed to mix it with water, and then they were supposed to consecrate and sanctify everything with that red heifer ash. But that red heifer had to be what? Without blemish. Without blemish. Now, that meant without a white hair. Right. And so, Israel, the Jews, the Hasidic Jews, conservative Jews, who are looking forward to the coming again of the temple and stuff, and are, are already have the utensils already built for, made for it, okay, they're, they're ready. 
Okay, they're ready for this right now as we speak right now. They're ready. Okay, and they have a herd of red heifers in Israel, waiting for one to be born in the land that will be without blemish. Some years ago, they thought they finally had one, but they found one white hair on its rear end, and so it disqualified it. That's the meticulousness of which they are going to search for the blemish. This is important. Remember this later when we get to this, okay? That's the meticulousness that they're going to search for the innocence the without blemish of this sacrifice. So, the first thing we know is that it's a lamb or a bull um, that is without blemish. Secondly, we talk about the blood of the sacrifice because it's very important what's going to be done with the blood of the sacrifice. The first thing we know is that this blood was supposed to be caught. You know, we're not told that, but the blood, first thing was the, 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 the priest is going to dip his finger into the blood, and what's he going to do? He's going to sprinkle it on the altar. Okay, Again, these are details, but I think God placed the details there for a reason. The second thing was that the blood was going to be anointed upon or placed upon, applied to the horns of the altar. He was going to take it, and he was going to put some on the, the horns of the altar. And then finally, the remaining of the blood was supposed to be poured at the base of the altar. Okay? So there were three things that had to be accomplished with the blood. Now, go back two weeks ago when we talked about Christ as the mediator, and we talked about Nadab and Abihu. Remember? And we talked about the consecration of the priests, and we talked about the severity of the office, and how Nadab and Abihu went with profane fire, and what happened to them? They were consumed. Okay? There we go. Poured at the base of the altar. Each of these steps were important. God declared them. In other words, if it, God didn't care what they did with the blood, he wouldn't have defined it that way. But God defined what he wanted done with the blood. Does that make sense? And again, in a few minutes, we'll find out the importance of that. Okay? Now, the second thing we see is the efficacy of the sacrifice. The efficacy of the sacrifice. What do we know about this sacrifice? Okay? First of all, we know that it's what? It's local. What does that mean? What does it mean that it's, it's local? Well, first of all, it means that it only applies to the, the person who's offering it. If I sinned, what would I do? I'd bring a sacrifice. If you sin, guess what? You need to bring a sacrifice. But once a year, on a day called Yom Kippur, which we refer to as the Day of Atonement, there would be a sacrifice for the nation. Okay? Now, so if I sinned, I bring a sacrifice. On Yom Kippur, there was a sacrifice offered up for the, the nation. Well, the next question, though, is, and in, in when we're talking about the efficacy, the, how, how um, powerful it was, how it applied, to what, what cleansing it could give me, okay, was that it was only temporal. And that meant that, for me, as an individual, it only lasted until what? Until I sinned again. And if I sinned again, I just, you know, I offer this bullock for, for the cleansing of my sin, and on the way home, back to my house, because I lived hours away, maybe days away in this journey to go to the cleansing for my sin. On the way home, I, I, I mistreat my wife or whatever. You know, I, I sin again. And I go, what? Oh, hey. You know, now i got to go home and i got to find what? i got to get another bullock. Folks, I would be broke. I, I, would, I, would, I would be an indentured servant all my life. 
Anyways, why? Because the, the sin sacrifice only lasted until the next time you sinned. Well, for the nation, it only lasted until the next year. Every year, they would have to bring another sacrifice for the nation. I mean, why? Because what did the nation undoubtedly do during the next year? Sin. So the effectiveness, if you would, the powerfulness working, the efficacious working of those sacrifices was only temporary. It only lasted to the next time you sinned. Now note in Leviticus chapter 7, when we read that, what kind of sins were those? Chapter 7, Leviticus 7. Were they voluntary sins? They were involuntary. They were, you didn't know it. They were unintentional. It, you didn't wake up saying, I'm going to go against God today. No, it just happened. And all of a sudden you were what? Made aware of it. And so even though you didn't mean to sin, it was still what? A sin. And when you were made aware of the sin, what were you responsible to do? Make the sacrifice. And if you didn't, the blood was on your own head. That's exactly right. You, you were given account for that. And so God had you come. Well, what's the third part of this? Well, it's the presenter of the sacrifice himself. It's, the, it's you and I. It's the one, if we're living in, in the days of Israel, we're the ones who are bringing it. And so what do we see, first of all, about this, these, this one who's going to bring the, uh, the offering? First of all, the individual, go back to Leviticus 1, what do we read? The, the, the individual had to what? Had to come. Had to come. And how are we told that he came? Well, let's go, let's go backwards. He came, first of all, oh, I went back too far, didn't I? He came voluntarily, yes. He came to the tabernacle. He came exactly to where God told him to come. But he then he came of his own free will. Did, did you see that in Leviticus chapter 1 when we read that? God told them, he says, um, when you bring your offering, verse 3, it will be without blemish, and he should offer it of his own free will. He should not be what? Coerced to do it. There's a struggle for us as people sometimes wanting to coerce others to do what? To do the right thing. Well, yes, but normally, as a believer, that means to what? Confess your sin. You know? And so, Job's friends came to Job, right? And they knew that he was what? He was a sinner. You know, that's why God was doing this. He was, he was, he was a sinner. And therefore, he needed to do what? He needed to confess. He needed to, he needed to confess before God. And sometimes, we, we like to do that as well. And, and I share this sometimes in, in, in marital counseling. But I am not my wife's Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. And she is not my Holy Spirit. You know what happens when I try to be my wife's Holy Spirit? Things mess up pretty good. Because I do it wrongfully, more than likely. Do you know what happens when she tries to be my Holy Spirit? My pride kicks in. So I'm not going to blame her. I'm going to blame me on it, okay? okay? But more than likely, she'll probably do it wrong too, because it's in her pride. She's wanting things to be changed, not because she wants to glorify God, but because she wants to glorify or things to be changed for who? For her. Same thing with me. Something's bothering me, and so I want it what? Fixed. Okay? But God says that when you bring that sacrifice, when you come 
to do this, and we're going to see some other things to do, you need to come, and you need to come on your, your own. It's got to be of your own free will. Don't you love the term free will? It's not in the Bible. Anyways, the individual had to lay his hand on the head of the offering. What was the deal with that? He says, now when he comes, he brings it to the tabernacle of his own free will, and he will lay his hands on the head of that, that, that bull. What was he doing at that time? Symbolizing was for him, yes, but how? He was transferring, transferring the guilt of his sin to the bullock. In order to do that, and I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little bit splitting out here, okay? In order to transfer the guilt of my sin to that bull, what must I do? It's the first thing you've got to do before you get saved. You need, you need to confess the sin. I need to recognize, now first of all, I, I knew I did this because I came to the tabernacle with my offering, right? I need to recognize I'm a what? A sinner. He needed to recognize that he had sin, so he had to come, and then he had to lay his hands on the head and confess that sin. That means in, in 1 John 1, nine, where it says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. It's the, it's the word homologizomai, which means to say in agreement with God. Or to say in agreement with. In other words, this is what God says about my act, and I agree with him. Lying lips are a what? Abomination to Yahweh. Abomination to the Lord. See? Even the kids know. You adults know. Lying lips are what? They're abominable. They're a stench in the nostrils of God. When you lie, what's a lie? Anything that's not what? Totally truthful. When you lie, you are a stench in the nostrils of God. And so to say something in agreement with God at that moment, God, I what? I, I didn't tell you the whole truth. I, I, I held back to some of the truth. Well, okay, I, I colored some of the truth. You, you know, God, I, I just... Now, I know you probably don't talk like that, but you know how your kids do that sometimes when they're first caught in their lie, and they're trying to what? You know, just, yeah, kind of just turn it, turn it around. We do that with God sometimes. Or we're even bolder and we say, what? I didn't lie. To confess means to say, God... What I have done is an abomination in your sight. And you are just to hold me accountable. But I praise you, God, that you have provided the sin sacrifice for me to cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Many times we don't want to do that. We don't go to God in true confession. We just kind of blow it off. God's the the big grandpa in the sky who kind of winks at my failures because he doesn't beat me up like he did Ananias and Sapphira because he doesn't kill me like he did Nadab and Abihu. Remember we talked about that. God still hates what? Sin. He hates it. So they had to lay the hand on the head of the offering. And finally, in that they had the individual had to be the one. Now, aren't you glad that you didn't live in Israel? They had to be the one who slit the throat and killed the sacrifice. I remember years ago when I first realized, I always thought it was a priest who did it. And I was studying this out. And I realized it was the person. It was the individual 
who does it. Not the priest. It was after the throat was slit. It was after the animal was killed that the priest took it and made the offering. So the individual offering it was a part of the killing process. Now that doesn't sound extremely practical to me today because I'm not a what? I'm not a Jew. But when we look at the prophetical side, this practical side is going to come into just huge light. So let's look at the prophetical side. The object of our our sacrifice. The one who we look at commemoratively of coming into the city of Jerusalem on this day 2,000 years ago or so, okay, multiple, long time ago. When he came in, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week in bigger terms, but as part of this Nisan Nisan 10, okay, the the 10th day of Nisan, and on the 10th day of Nisan, for the Passover lamb, they would be taking, they would be taking their lamb, and then over the next four days to the 14th day of Nisan, when that Passover lamb was sacrificed, they would be examining the lamb to make sure that it was a lamb without blemish. Just in the same way, this, this sacrifice from the book of Leviticus, chapter 1 and chapter seven, 4, I said Leviticus 7 before, didn't I? I meant Leviticus 4, I'm sorry, it just finally kicked in. Leviticus 4, that sin sacrifice had to be a sin without blemish. It had to be one that was innocent, having no sin. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know these passages that we're going to go to. Verse 21, For he that is God made him that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He made Him who knew no sin. 1 John chapter 3. One of the memory verses for this month that we're looking at. 1 John 3 verse 5 says, And you know that He, that is Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. I know I'm going fast on you. But if you've got a sermon note sheet, you know where I'm going. Hebrews chapter 4. Okay? Kind of look at that sermon note sheet and know that I'm heading there. I am, I'm making a concerted effort to be done on time. And, uh, so I, I have actually my cell phone on, on mute and, and everything, and it's going to buzz at me and, 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 and let me know that I've got to start winding down. And the more, the more times, because then it goes on, what do you call it? Uh, snooze thing, you know, because if I don't hit it, it just keeps going. So five minutes later, it's going to go. So I know that by the third time it does it to me, I, I, I got to be done. So no guarantees. I, I, I've been known to miss the, the, the greatest of uh, signs and wonders. Anyways, um, Hebrews 4, verse 15. Phenomenal passage. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without what? Sin. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's tempted every way such as we are? Does, he risen, but does it mean that, that he really was tempted? Yes. That means the possibility was there. If he wanted to, he could have. But he said what? No, I'm serving God. There are many who will not believe that Christ could literally be tempted because he was what? He was God. But the Bible tells me what? 
He was tempted in every way such as I am. And in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm told that there's no temptation that's overtaken me, but such is common to man. Do you get it? God was tempted. Just as being in the flesh, Christ was tempted, just as I was, but he was without sin. He was the perfect, innocent sacrifice that was offered for us. Secondly, let's talk about that blood of the sacrifice. Remember? Because we said that there were three things, do you remember, that had to be done with the blood. Turn with me to John chapter 19. In John 19, let's begin verse 1 and 2. It says, So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. What does it mean to be scourged? What was a scourging back then? They were whipped. A very mean whip. Uh, It was a leather tong, and at the end of the leather tongs were what? Either a a piece of metal, okay, it wasn't necessarily a ball, but whatever, a piece of metal. A lot of times they would even use ragged ragged ones. Uh, It could be rocks, anything that was sharp, okay, and they would tie it to the end of this cat of nine tails, if you would, and then, then they would be whipped. Now, according to Jewish law, you weren't allowed to be whipped beyond 39 stripes, okay, 40 minus 1. There are many who believe, and I, I can't tell you, I'm talking on my feet here, that I can prove to you that he had beyond, but many people believe that Jesus, for Jesus, they went beyond the 40 stripes. But even 39 stripes like that, could you imagine what your body would, would look like? And then they, they plated a crown of thorns, not like the little bitty ones, but the big railroad spike kind of thorns, you know? And, and they plastered it on his head. Okay? So let's go on. So this is going on. Drop down to verse, um, verse 16, where we begin reading. It says, Then he that is Pilate delivered him, that is Christ, to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now, stop for a moment, and again, I don't know whether you've ever done it, hopefully you have, and if you haven't, I apologize. If, if you haven't ever seen The Passion of the Christ, um, Mel Gibson's movie, it's a great movie to see. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying I like everything a part of it, and I mean, I know that there are people who say there's a lot of Catholicism put through it, and so like that. ignore all that. You know, sometimes we can, we can strain out a gnat, you know, and, and, and swallow the camel. So forget, just watch the movie. I mean, I understand you may not want your little guys to watch it because it's, it's painfully real, okay? This was, wasn't the, the, the neat little pictures. You know, we see this, and it's, it's a picture, right? And we go, okay, it's, that's not really Jesus. That's just a, a recreation of it, da-da-da-da. And so we watch the guy, and, and later on they do what? They go up and take the guy right back off, and he walks away, you know. And so we, we kind of minimize what happens to Christ. But he's already been whipped by this cat of nine tails, He's got this crown of thorns jammed into his skull, and now he's got to carry this, not the, the crosses that we have, you know, the nice smooth ones where we kind of sand down and put the, the varnish on so that it, you know, we don't get the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the splinters from. No, he's got a rough-hewn tree that he's carrying on his back, which every time you move, what happens? It rubs up and down your back, which for Jesus at this moment was what? Ripped wide open. 
What do you, I mean, could you imagine having a rough hewn log being moved like this over your back just by itself? Could you imagine how many thorns you're going to, or not thorns, but uh, splinters you're going to get? But now you've, your back's already ripped open by, by the, the scourging that you've received. And then the back, the, this rough hewn log goes back and forth. What's happening at this moment? Blood. It's getting all over that, that, that cross, isn't it? Now, I know from the book of Mark that he doesn't have to carry it the whole way because he falls. And so they take it off of him and they, and they make, um, help me out, Simon, Simon um, to take it. And Simon has to carry it the rest of the way. And so they move forward. So let's move forward as well down to 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the, the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and they put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that is the, the day before the Shabbat of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that the body should not remain on the cross, the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, a high Sabbath, not the weekly Sabbath, but this is going to be the Sabbath of the, the Feast of Unleavened Breads, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first of the other, and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, and they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. So, let's talk about this sin sacrifice again. Okay? What do we know about it? First of all, the blood was sprinkled on the cross. Yes? That as, as the sacrifice, and as he, the blood was let, and as he carried it, the blood is being sprinkled upon the altar of the cross. What was the next thing? It had to be poured upon the, the horns of the altar. Well, interestingly enough, when Jesus then is laid down, his head originally would have been here, right? Because what was the form of, of death if you were being crucified? Asphyxiation. That's why when you see him many times, he's down here. Because he's falling down. You understand? And so they would, they had the, when they laid him down on that cross, before they would put him up, they, they laid his hands on the two opposite horns of the altar, the cross. His head was on the one altar, or the horn, if you would and his feet were attached to the other horn. Do you, do you see it? Do you, do you see the, the four horns of the altar here? And what happened at each one of those? They, they put a railroad spike, if you would, through his feet and through his wrists. I know it's through his hands, but this was all considered your hand. And they would put it right here, right there at that main vein, is where they would, they would put it right through there, because you've got two bones, they would, they would put it between it, because then, then you couldn't rip your hand out. You know, if you put it through here, you could, you could rip your hand out, but here you couldn't do that. And so they put it through here so they were stuck there. And so they would try to hold themselves up with their feet, but that would hurt. And so they would release that, but then they would come down and then they couldn't breathe. And the process would just continue on and on until finally they would die of asphyxiation. But clearly the other two guys, it wasn't long enough on the cross for that to happen. That's why they came and broke their legs, so that then, then they were going to die by asphyxiation. But when they came to Jesus, because of the scourging that he already had, because of the abuse that he'd already been taken, 
and because he gave up his ghost, he was already, he was already gone. And so the blood was applied to the horns of the altar, which was the cross. And finally, after the sacrifice was made, right, what happened? The remainder of the blood was poured at the base of the altar. I know that Roman soldier didn't know what he was doing. But he was fulfilling the Levitical prophecy of the sin sacrifice. Coming up and taking that spear, running it up under his, his left rib into his heart. And we're told that pour, what came pouring out was blood and water. Dr. Steve, why would it be blood and water? Right. Proof that he was dead. That when you die, your blood begins to separate between the serum and the, and, and the water. Quote, unquote. Okay? And so, it proved everybody. Jesus was what? He was dead. And if it wasn't before, he wasn't then, you know? But he was dead, because it was blood and water at that point. And so the blood was poured at the base of the altar of the cross. Jesus fulfilled this sacrifice. Well, what about the efficacy of the sacrifice? Well, with the... Um, in the, the one for back in Leviticus, we talked about it being just localized. Or, but here we're told in the Word of God that it's universal. You know the passages very well as I do. In, in John um, chapter 1, verse 29, you can turn there. We're in the book of John, so just turn back to chapter 1, verse 29. John, the Baptist, the baptizer, comes to and sees Jesus, and he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the elect. He doesn't say that, does he? He takes away the sin of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we read that, Little children, these I write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, for he is the propitiation for our sins, but not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ's atonement for sacrifice is universal. Right now, everybody on, the, on, the, on this planet has their sins paid for. Do you believe that? I didn't declare it. The Bible declares it. The difference is, they have to do, we'll get this in a moment, they've got to do what God said, right? So what about the atonement as well? Well, it's eternal. Remember that the sacrifice for the Levites only lasted till when? The next time they sinned. But what does Hebrews chapter 10 tell us? That this man, when he offered up his, his, self for, his offering for the sin, did what? Once for all, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Because that sacrifice was accepted for ever. Forever. Jesus Christ's sin sacrifice is eternal. Nothing ever has to be offered again. And so finally, what about the presenter? you and I, of the sacrifice. Well, we have to come. We have to come. There's many verses that you have in your sermon note sheets that talk to you. First of all, you need to come to Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Spirit and the Bride say what? Come. Jesus had said, when He says, you know, if any man thirsts, let him what? Come to me. And so, in Revelation 22, then, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And if anybody's thirsty, let him what? Come and drink of the living water. But you got to come. 
It's just an amazing thing how many people to me refuse at that point to come. They refuse to come. But you need to come. And secondly, you need to lay your hands on the head of the, off- of the offering. If you would, it's what we heard about before, there has to be the confession of who you are and of your sin. Now, I'm not including this third point here that you need to, to kill, but the reality is that that's, that's, that's involved here as well. Because I, I was in those chief priests. I, I, was, I was there. I was the one crying, what, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. You know, many times I try to analyze, who would I be if I was back then? You know? And fearfully, I, 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 I think to myself, I would probably be one of those people crying out, crucify him, crucify him, until the fullness of his grace came upon me. And we read in the book of Acts that when the, the apostles and the disciples begin proclaiming the word and the power of the Holy Spirit is coming upon them, we're told that many of the what? Priests believed. The same ones who would have been encouraging the people to say what? Crucify him, crucify him. We're coming to faith. Remember Paul, whose name was Saul? What do we read Saul? The first time we meet Saul, what's he doing? Holding the garments while they, while they stone Stephen, and then he's going out doing what? Arresting all the Christians and trying to kill them. If you would, in, in a sense, if you, if you don't mind me kind of making a picture, of he's crucifying Christ. Because what does Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You may be doing it to all these others, but remember what Jesus said? When they, when they blaspheme you, they're really blaspheming who? Me. When they revile you, they're reviling me. To attack us, don't worry about it. They're really attacking Jesus. But Jesus' sacrifice was made even for him, and even for them, the chief of all sinners. And so I need to come to Jesus, if you would, and I need to place my hands on his head, the head of that sacrifice. And I need to acknowledge with God that what I have done is sin in his eyes and that he is just to hold me accountable for what I have done. And that it is only according to his plan and his purpose and his way which he has declared by which my sins will be forgiven me. And so we're told in the book of Hebrews, that the blood of lambs and goats, they only last for a moment. But it is appointed unto man once to what? Die. And after that, the judgment. And if you choose not to come according to the path of which God has laid out, then you will bear the consequences of your own choice. Because God has already paid the price for you to be saved. So, have you applied the blood of Christ to your life yet? Again, I can look out and say, oh yeah, everybody's saved here. But I don't know that. But you know in your own heart where you are with God. Do not deceive yourself. Because the day is going to come when the one who is the, the true opener of the heart will reveal the truth that's in you. Have you accepted his sacrifice to atone for your sin? And finally, this is the week that we commemorate the coming of Christ into into Jerusalem to offer himself as that sin sacrifice for us. I want to challenge you to take time this week to not just go through the week, 
and let it be just another week. But take the time this week to meditate on what Christ has done for you. The magnitude of that sacrifice, of that offering for you. And I pray to challenge you um, as we, we are doing in our memory work in 1 John chapter 3, that those who have this hope in them do what? Anybody remember that? They purify themselves, even as he is pure. That as you meditate upon what Christ has done for you, as that sin sacrifice, you understand why he's done it for you. That you may be pure. That you may be holy. That you may be without blemish. Before him in love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you have come to be my sin sacrifice. And Lord, I know the sin sacrifice of the whole world, but Lord, just an amazing thing to know how much wickedness has been in my life. The decadence, the lasciviousness, the lewdness that I have lived. I am one of those Roman guards hammering the, the spike through your hands and feet. I am one of those priests spitting upon you and, and reviling you. And yet, Lord, I am also one of those who you look down to and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I thank you that while I was yet a sinner, Christ, you came for me. You died to purge me of sin. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for being faithful to come and and to declare the truth of God's word and to convict me of sin in righteousness and judgment. That by faith I could believe and to not have to trust in my own works, which would never get me there. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in proclaiming the truth of your word to those we come in contact with, that others may rejoice in this truth and in their relationship with you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.